The woods are lovely, dark, and deep. Miles to travel before I sleep. Welcome to All Things Crime. All right, Sarah. Hey, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You know, I, I love talking to all these uh, different types of people that are involved with, uh, you know, anything to, to do with cr- solving crime. And so knowing a little bit about you, uh, I was absolutely uh, just excited to have you on. So, hey, well, I appreciate um, that. Why don't, yeah. Why don't we start with uh, your background, you know, kind of how you uh, transitioned and, and from, you know, becoming a police officer to uh, where you are now. Let's start there. Sure. Okay. So um, I was a police officer, patrol officer um, for about 10 years. I I worked primarily third shift. So it was, um, you know, the middle of the night, the kind of um, driving fast and yelling at people and, you know, gun runs and bar fights and stuff. And um, was lucky enough early in that um, to have been been plucked off a patrol for, for a stretch to work on sex crimes investigations with the Detective Bureau. And so I did all of that for about 10 years um, and also spent some time teaching at the academy level, both uh, federal and municipal. And then, you know, I, I decided to pursue what I had always um, wanted to do from the beginning of going into law enforcement, which was to go into a more um, academic research element, um, particularly to do with forensic psychology, uh, especially focusing on serial killers and serial sexual predators. And so after about 10 years in uniform um, and in the Bureau, I did do that. I, I, I left the streets and uh, started work um, back in school and went through for my criminal justice administration and then my criminal behavior master's work. And then from there, I started just doing some consultant type work, sort of uh, pitching in um, with just kind of commenting on certain cases and and certain things that had a serial predation kind of element to them if people needed somebody to kind of chime in on something. And ended up landing in the the true crime media space through that consultancy work. I was um, doing some consultancy, um, a case out of Oklahoma involving two missing girls um, and two two people who were murdered at the scene where the girls went missing. Um, A lot of people, if they're familiar at all with true crime, might be familiar with the case. It's um, referred to as the Bible Freeman case from, from 1999. So I was doing some consultant work on that, just on the investigation and it ended up becoming the subject of a documentary series for, for CNN and HLN. And so from there, kind of just got pushed into the, you know, doing correspondent work for HLN, you know, contributing on, on different cases um, that they covered on the network. And then also kind of continuing to do the, the consultancy work in the real space, so to speak, um, working with law enforcement agencies, particularly if there's a case that, that focuses on this serial predator area. And mm-hmm. um, uh, just about a year and a half ago, I landed with the Mobile County Sheriff's Office in Mobile, Alabama um, to, to start peeking at a cold case from 1993 that seemed to, to be like it might be in my wheelhouse. And I've been working on that case almost full-time for a year and a half now. I, I think next month will be 27 years since the victim's remains were discovered. And I think for the first time, you know, in all that time, we have made some pretty significant progress and hopefully knocking on wood, we're, we're closing in on an arrest. 
Oh, that's fantastic. That is such great news. So, you know, that's, I think that's a great transition right there. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that case and, uh, you know, how it came about? Sure. So, um, like I said, the case happened in November of 1993. Uh, a woman who was living with an alias at the time, but her real name was uh, Renee Bergeron. And Renee was was last seen that investigators originally believed either Friday or Saturday night um, of a weekend in mid-November. And on the Sunday afternoon, her uh, remains were found discarded on a dirt road running alongside the uh, the I-10, Interstate 10. And um, her remains were found, she was decapitated and she was nude and most of the fluids had been drained from her body. And there was extensive mutilation of her sexual organs as well. Her head, unfortunately, was not found until the next day with cadaver dogs um, a little further down I-10. And her face had undergone some pretty significant mutilation as well. At the time, you know, it was 1993. We think now about, you know, everybody watches Law and Order SVU and everybody's watched Mindhunter. And so like, we kind of think of these things in terms of like what a serial killer looks like or what a sexual homicide looks like as being kind of commonplace knowledge. Um, but at that time in 1993, um, the work that, that John Douglas and Robert Ressler at the FBI did with Dr. Ann Burgess, the folks who, for anybody who's seen Mindhunter, are the, the characters of Mindhunter are based on those three real people. Mm -hmm. The work that they did, they really, they didn't publish their work until the late 80s. And a lot of the work had not yet been adopted by organizations nationwide. And so particularly in a smaller department like Mobile County Sheriff's Office, it was just not a tool that they had in their basket necessarily. So they looked at it and decided um, that it was probably a drug deal gone bad. And they pursued some leads. They, they, they certainly did some, some work at the time, but they were, like I said, just working with the wrong tools. And they were, you know, sort of looking for a Coke dealer. And then it turned out not to be the Coke dealer that they thought it was. And that was kind of where they just ran up against these, you know, these dead ends. Fast forward 25 years and some change to when I first picked up the case. And obviously, you know, the, the knowledge base that I have is very specific to sexual homicide. So I'm a hammer and, and obviously it looks like a nail to me, but I think it really is, if, you know, anybody who has examined it, um, including folks at the Behavioral Science Unit and actually including Dr. Ann Burgess herself, um, have definitely had the same takeaway. This was not a drug deal. This was absolutely, a, you know, a sexually uh, based homicide. Mm -hmm. And um, so we started working on the case from that perspective and reevaluating all of the original suspects and sort of combing through the original notes. It took me almost a full year to organize the actual original case. It was about 5,000 pages worth of case notes and evidence and to start kind of trying to make some sense of it. And from that, I this sort of was able to get this clearer picture of people who really were right there kind of in the original notes from the very beginning but wouldn't have jumped out and, you know, might've been eliminated as suspects because they didn't work in the drug trade or they did, you know, and it just didn't sort of fit right. what, what the investigators thought they were, were chasing at the time. So that's, that's what we've been doing. And since May of this year, I've been splitting my time about evenly between home where I live in Philadelphia and uh, Mobile County. I actually head down again in a couple of weeks, a couple of days for a few weeks and just working with, with my partner in the um, homicide unit there of major crimes. Um, and we're, you know, we're conducting interviews and we're going through physical evidence and 
like I said, we're having some, we're having some real success. So, you know, it's amazing how just persistence and, but, but getting a, a, a fresh set of eyes, you know, a lot of times that's, um, that's really one of the critical steps. You know, I, I, I can't tell you how many cases I've run into where the same detective has been right. covering this same case. It's been his, his or her case for, you know, years. And right. then somebody like you comes in and it's not, it's not like you're trying to step on anybody's toes, but just getting a fresh perspective and a different perspective uh, right. oft- oftentimes leads leads to something that opens another door and then off you go. And maybe that was the door that needed to be opened in yeah. order to actually solve the case. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think you really hit the nail on the head because it's absolutely, uh, you know, it's not like a competition kind of thing or this sort of like peeing contest that people think of with different jurisdictions and different agencies. And that, that absolutely exists in the law enforcement world. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I've found, you know, working with an agency like Mobile County, where they embrace this idea. And, and in addition to just the fresh set of eyes, it was also just that I'm able to dedicate the time to it. They are an exceptional unit. Their, their major crime squad is incredibly skilled, but they are still also you know, a half a dozen people and they have new homicides and, and right. new sexual assaults right. all the time. And so it, it is difficult for them to be able to devote the kind of time that it takes to do something like this, right? Just hand me a bunch of banker boxes and say, okay, go, <laughs> go away now, go to Philadelphia and play with these papers and see what you come up with. So, and, and, that, and one of the things that we did on earth in these boxes was a rape kit that had never been tested and fingernail clippings that had never been tested because in 1993, the only thing they looked at was serology. So they had tested the rape kit for the presence of semen, but no DNA testing of any Mm. kind was done and the fingernail clippings were never done. So we were, we were obviously in this day and age, very excited to, to land on fresh physical evidence, you know, that we're DNA wasn't even on the scene back in 93. Not, yeah, no, not in any real way. Certainly not, you know, not like what we've, not like where we've we've ended up today. So No, I mean, to go from back in 93 at best, you know, they'd say, well, this is the blood type of the victim or, or, you know, whatever blood that, you know, they might find, but, you know, to be able to actually pinpoint, you know, one in a trillion, you know, this is the person that most likely, you know, deposited this DNA. That's just, yeah, it's gone uh, long ways. So very long ways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, fantastic. Well, you know, we, we've talked about that case a little bit in the past when we've run into each other, like at CrimeCon and things like that. And that's mm-hmm. so obviously it's, uh, you know, a, as a layman, but also as somebody that's involved with uh, law enforcement in different areas, you know, I'm always on the side cheering for you. So I appreciate I that. hope you and Mobile County actually, uh, come to a resolution on that case. That'd be absolutely fantastic. And it, yeah. you know, and hopefully maybe um, if it is solved, you know, we can have you on again and you can give us an update on it. So I would love to. Yeah. Cause at this point, obviously it's an active investigation, as they say, I can't, sure. I can't say, I can't say, you know, too, too much about it, but um, I, I can say we've had some modest success with the DNA. It's not, it's not going to be the end all be all, but it's certainly, it, it's certainly a useful tool. And we're really glad that we were able to you know, make use of the, of the physical evidence. So yeah, I'd be happy to, to come back on and hopefully we can talk about, you know, how happy Renee's mom and, and daughter are that there's, you know, some answers for them finally after almost three decades. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Praying for that. 
So, hey, before I let you go, let's sure. um, maybe shift gears a little bit and yep. uh, maybe lighten it up. So tell <laughs> me in all your years of being involved with, you know, everything from being a patrol officer, what is one of the more humorous things that ever happened to you? I mean, I'm sure you tell stories about your days on the street as well as uh, uh, your work and as a you know PI and everything else that you do now as consultant. But so just give me something light. Give me something that uh, is really comical that you're, you're always sharing at Thanksgiving. Um, okay, so one of my my absolute favorite. Like I said, third shift. So it's, you know it's probably one or two in the morning, and I get marked on the radio and I hear four eleven, and I say four eleven, and then there's nothing for a really long time from dispatch and. Um, then she comes back on and I can hear the dispatcher um, and I can't tell if she's like crying or laughing or what's happening. I'm like, this is very, very unusual. Right. Uh And so I hear my number again and then I can, I can hear laughter in the back, like peals of laughter in the background. (laughs) So I'm thinking, okay, this is um, definitely going to be them, you know, making fun of me for something. I don't know what. And she finally comes on, she gives me an address and then she goes off the radio again because she can't contain herself. And then she, and you know, and of course, bearing in mind that 911 calls and, and these dispatchers are all recorded. So she's doing her best to be as professional as possible. And she comes back on and she, um, the way our, our area was dispatched was just by codes and signals, right? Just like numbers. Um, but she came back on and she said, I have no code or signal. The caller states there are Sasquatch dancing around a fire behind his house. <laughs> And so I, wait, I go, <laughs> wait, a Sasquatch, Sasquatch dancing around a fire behind his house. And this is of course why all the other dispatchers in the room are just beside themselves. So by the time I get there now, uh, where I did my, my time on patrol was in um, suburban Columbus, Ohio. So I was in, in, you know, in a, a suburban agency and we were dispatched by the county. And so all, all the other little suburbs around us, as well as the, the sheriff's department, were all dispatched on the same radio. Right. And as I pull up to the address, I just see different cruisers from all different departments like rolling up onto the scene with me because they're all now dying you know it's it's the middle of the night they're all bored and trying to stay awake and so they all want to see what the sasquatch is and the you know the the punchline of it was that one of my best friends who was a a sheriff's deputy has been convinced and he and I still talk about this he is convinced to this day that not only are sasquatch real but that there is a thriving population in central Ohio and he is (laughs) not kidding in any way. I love him. And so he was there dead serious and he was out with the flashlight in the back like forever. And we all tromped through the woods and, you know, we were able to explain to a very inebriated homeowner that, um, that we had managed to scare off the Sasquatch and we put out the fire and they wouldn't be back that evening. It sort of seemed the best resolution so that this guy could finish his, his, his last couple drinks and just pass out for the night. But yeah, that's, that's one of the lighter ones that, uh, that people, people usually find surprising, but there's, there's lots like that. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's fantastic. Oh my gosh. That's one of the best stories I've ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a good one. That's a good one. So well, awesome. Listen, um, I don't want to keep you too much longer, so I just can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming on. Oh, um, I'm happy to do it. Thanks so much for asking. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, this is, um, you know, the whole goal of, of this uh, uh, series, again, is to give different perspectives, not just from 
the victim's point of view, but also from the law enforcement point of view, the crime lab point of view. And so, and really humanizing everything. And it's, it's really important that people understand that it's, it's not just what you see on, you know, CSI, uh, you know, or criminal minds, you know, things like that. It's, uh, you know, there's, there's actual real people out there, uh, not only suffering, but real people, you know, working hard to uh, find resolution for those suffering people. And it's, Absolutely. Um, I, I think as this um, as this video series uh, evolves, I, I I think I might make it a point to find something humorous like your Sasquatch story at the end because that's just absolutely fantastic. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to be uh, laughing about this you. one for a while. Good, so. that's right. Well, just you know, don't tie one on and then be surprised if you see Yeti walking around out back. So you know. There you go. All right. <laughs> well, hey, appreciate it so much. Absolutely, Jared. Thanks for having me. Oh, you have a great night. You too. Bye. Thank you for listening to All Things Crime. We are so grateful for all of our listeners. If you enjoyed this, please give us a positive review so other people can find it as well. Have an amazing All Things Crime Day.